Hey guys, my name's Echo Kellum. I play Curtis Hall, aka Miss Terrific, on CW Arrow, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. My name is Craig McKenzie, and in the year 2018, I continue to host a podcast to talk about nerdy things. To help me do this, I recruited a team to help me with my rambling. We explore the entirety of the film TV continuum to find topics to discuss. Please don't call us losers. We prefer Neil Before Pod. Joining me from a TV show where all his friends have forgotten about him, it's Chris. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the new show that you've been on loads of times. Yay. We aren't on a new show. I was, of course, referencing a new character in Legends of Tomorrow who was forgotten about in his own show, famously forgotten about. And then, and then come over to this. What, what, what show have I been forgotten about? Well, I suppose Radio One. Yeah, okay, that's. <laughs> I'll give you that. I got forgotten about on that years ago. I don't even think they know I still do it. Um, anyway, <laughs> just for some reason, they're paying a power bill on Sunday afternoons, and they don't understand why. Technically, I'm down as janitorial staff, so it's fine. It's just I happen to open the mic when I'm there. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Yeah, so of course, we're here to talk about Legends of Tomorrow, the second half of Season 3, because if you want to hear us talk about the first half of Season 3, then there is a handy little podcast that does that. Of course, we will possibly reference back to it, assuming our memories are that long, although I don't think mine is. Um, So... That's what we do. We reference back to ourselves. We link and we do show notes and all that stuff. Just basically any excuse to give me more work. So are you ready to talk Legends Season 3 Part 2? I hope so. You hope so. Okay. I hope so. So without spoiling it uh, for our listeners who may or may not have seen it and these listeners that you know we, we think exist that listen to the first five minutes of the podcast to hear general thoughts and then decide, oh, we'll watch this and come back later. Uh, the law of averages suggests that one such person exists. Well, hello to you, you hello. average person. Uh, you know, our rule of average listener. Um, I have always had, a, or at first, I suppose, I had a mixed thing about Legends. However, I think it's kind of embraced its space. And it kind of gets itself now, and it doesn't take itself too seriously, where I think it uh, succeeds massively in just being a bit of fun. Um, so for that reason, I've really enjoyed it. It's it's really sort of filled a little void for me, and I've, uh, yeah, really, really liked this season. I'd agree. Uh, season three has went from strength to strength, almost, uh, almost without fail. Uh, although there is the odd little niggle here and there that I find kind of off-putting and the, there's one episode that I think isn't that great, which I'll get to later. Um, but on the whole, it's been a lot of fun. They still manage to make the characters engaging enough. The stakes always feel reasonable. Uh, so it doesn't just feel like they're, you know, they're mucking about, not doing very much, which... Some other shows have in the past, you know, where where you just can't take it seriously anymore because it's just it's too stupid. Uh, but this show is always, always fun, and they did some really cool stuff in the second half of the season. So, still a fan. I think Black Lightning is a technically better show in you know almost every respect, but this is a lot more fun. Uh, it's 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 not disposable, which is great. You can just put it on and 
enjoy the ride while it lasts. Definitely. Yeah. So I don't have any more that I can say without spoiling everything, so uh, should we get Gideon to take us into the spoiler section? Yes, please, Gideon. Gideon, fire it up. Yes, Captain. Thanks, Gideon. Thank you. That's really weird talking to nothing. Talking to post-production. Is that how actors feel like <laughs> performing against tennis balls? Hello, sound effects. <laughs> in yeah. fact, is that how uh, is that how they felt dealing with malice in the last couple of episodes? <laughs> <laughs> see what I did there? That was that was a seamless. Uh, ah, see, I straight into the, the... <laughs> straight into the spoiler section. Straight into the spoilers. Yeah, <laughs> straight into CGI malice or malice. Whatever the hell you want to do to pronounce it. It's malice. Yeah. Malice. No, it's mollus. No, yeah. malice. Yeah, I like that. Depends who you ask. He, he thinks yeah. it's malice. Yes. And, you know, who are we to argue with a giant winged demon? <laughs> I certainly wouldn't. I'd run really no. far in the other direction, but that's just me. Yeah. Okay, so character-wise, uh, a bit of a reduced roster because we lost Martin and Jax. So it, it was weird, certainly as me writing about it, I was so used to going through it and being like, listing all the characters, but, you know, two less, it really made a difference, I think. I think it tightened up the cast slightly, um, without, you know, without feeling that the show was missing something fundamental. Of co- I mean, of course, Martin and Jax were a significant loss, but uh, I think the dynamic got, well, the dynamic it was enhanced in a way because it did beef up the kind of family angle. They were a family dealing with loss and that. Um, obviously, they were dealing with loss, with laughs, but uh, dealing with it nonetheless. And I liked I liked that aspect of it. You know, because they, they were doing the family stuff before Christmas, the last time we talked about it. And uh, the idea that they're becoming more and more of a family as time goes on is, is really good. And it fits the kind of nature of the show about these misfits who don't really have anyone else and they come together and make their own version of a family. Yeah, and I mean, you know, they use it as the kind of cheesy line towards the end of every season, really. But they they sort of earn their uh, their stripes as legends as they go along with uh, the different battles that they've won. They do, yeah. Although I'm not sure they could be considered legends, <laughs> how many mistakes they seem to make. Not yet, but you yeah. know, at the end of every season, they seem to create some kind of event that they have to stop in the next season. Yeah, they, exactly. they create they create their own legendary status, uh, which is the uh, the thing. But yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, I, I've got to admit, at the sort of mid season, I'm I'm going. Oh, are we going to kind of miss these characters? What's going to happen? How's the dynamic going to shift? And I think I think they did well. And then even with the new people that they've brought on, uh, for example, when they bring Wally in, at first I'm sitting there going, "Oh no, what have they done? You know, what's this going to be?" But the way they introduced him was just ridiculous fun, and yeah, uh, yeah I, I, you know, I, he, he kind of fits in perfectly there. Where I don't even think he fitted in as well over on Flash. I think in, on Flash, the problem was they never gave him the chance to fit in. Well, mm. you know, they just left him off to the background, and never bothered trying to find anything to do for him or do with him, and then he would just go and. He would go off soul searching and no one would care. You know, there'd be maybe a reference to where's Wally this week? And he's like, oh, he's in China or something, you know, and it's they made a mess of it. But that's not the, the this isn't the Flash podcast, it's you know, the Legends of Tomorrow podcast. And uh, I like that they pick that up where Wally's like, Yeah, I've coming from a team that didn't need me and didn't 
know what to do with me and you know that's that they make that part of his character which is really good the fact that he doesn't feel useful because this other team didn't didn't use him well and didn't seem to respect him or or value him in any way and that's exactly how it comes across on flash so it's almost like the writers of legends are making fun of the flash's inability to string sentences together these days hmm no, definitely. There were a few little digs about um, not having anything to do and sort of standing around and sort of want- wanting to be useful. Uh, you know, as soon as they say, oh, we really need to get a hold of that, he's already went and got it and, and brought it back, whether it's the correct thing to do or not. Yeah, and I like that they used that as part of his kind of character arc to begin with. The, the idea that he's just used to running in and grabbing stuff and coming back, but uh, it's Zari that tells him that... Um, Time travel is is something that you need to apply finesse to. So he needs to <laughs> spend time getting to know what people want, what people need in that particular time period, and then adjust his behaviour to suit that. Although I think anybody on this show talking about applying finesse yes. to anything is about I was rich. about to say. <laughs> <laughs> the legends, of course, well known for their finesse and What's- delicacy. I suppose Zari is the most finesse out of any of them. I mean, she's the one that seemed to be thinking about what what will this action actually do, you know? Mm. Uh, or at least in some aspects, she comes up with that algorithm that lets them scan time to see what will happen. Mm. Although they had that in season one, um, you, you had Gideon was able to extrapolate a future where some, you know, where a certain event happened. She did that more than once. Well, that's true, I suppose. Yeah. But yeah, let's not remember season one. Season one was rubbish. Why do we? Why do we go back to that? Yeah, yeah, let's not. <laughs> that was the finding yeah. their feet season. Uh, yeah, I'd argue that season two is the finding their feet season. Mm. Season one is, I don't know what that is, but season one is we're paying these actors to do something. So <laughs> well put them in a TV show. <laughs> We've run out of excuses to cameo them in other shows, so let's. Uh, yeah. Sorry, season one legends. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and and you mentioned about Wally's introduction, uh, where he was singing karaoke and stuff with Rip, um, <laughs> which I thought was great. I mean, it's like silly, and it's deliberately silly, but it's also these two characters that feel completely lost and rejected, just kind of, just kind of having some fun, and it's it's life affirming because Wally thinks he's you know that solitude is the only way for him to mend his broken heart, but he kind of learns that. He's better suited to actually being out there and doing stuff. Well, that's the thing. You know, he sort of learns that. And it's two people that have both been sort of rejected by their teams. Yeah. You know, that's what I liked over <laughs> this sort of bonding. Uh, is the pair of them sitting there going, oh, and they got rid of me. You know, I built up the whole thing and they got rid of me. And I I thought it was, it was just sort of well done. It was, you know, very uh, just stupid and silly and... You know, especially when they're juxtaposing it against sort of action scenes. Yeah. And one of the um, writers, at least one of the writers in the show, doesn't understand how playlists work. When uh, Rip Rip mentions that Wally has careless whisper on his playlist a lot of times. (laughs) So he's got like multiple instances. I suppose you can put multiple instances of the same. Yeah. I mean, he could have like cover versions in there. He could have, you know, acoustic version, you know, Calypso version. His own version. His own, his own sing-along version. Karaoke yeah. version for when he yeah. really wants to get in. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 
He likes Careless Whisper, which is funny because it's they, they say it was Jesse's favourite song and it was their song and this is like nothing. You don't get any of this on Flash. Just nothing. Hmm. You know, I, I start to feel like you get to know Wally a bit. I mean, he is very much in the background because I think the show, the, sh- the show and the writers haven't figured out what to do with him yet. So they don't know what are the best dynamics. They don't know what his function on the team is really yet. So he's there, but... And they're just trying him out. We'll get him to share scenes with everyone at some point, and then we'll see what we'll yeah. see what we clicks a bit more. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was funny when Amaya was going to do some meditation, and he was like, "I can help." I did some meditation once, and, and mm-hmm. he ends up making the situation worse because he just offends everyone in the room systematically, and then zips his way back out again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of my worries with Wally was that you know you bring a speedster in, and a speedster's kind of something very, very powerful to drop in the middle of the the team because it's a oh we need to get that thing. Oh, okay, you've got it. Oh, we need to tie this person up. Oh, you've tied them up. Okay, cool. You know, so they've they've managed to deal with that pretty well by sort of splitting the team into different parts and you know doing the usual sort of depowering or tripping up banana skin styly uh, with people. So I, they they seem to handle it quite well, actually. Yeah, um, for now anyway. Mm. Uh, there there hasn't been any kind of speed specific problems that he's had, and uh, a lot of the time he was kind of performing distraction maneuvers, which. Which fits him, you know, he's fast enough that no one will catch him and uh, particularly in the last episode as everyone was escaping while he was, you know, avoiding Malice or Malice or John Noble. He managed to snatch at least a couple of the Infinity Stones. He did. Oh, sorry, I mean Amulet first. <laughs> totems. In, Infinity totems. Totem stones. Infinity Totem Stones, yeah. <laughs> it was... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, every week I felt like I had to think about, like, who has what stone now? They changed hands so many times. <laughs> I was like, hang on, so Damien has the death stone again? Like, what? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things where I think um, I think they could have done that better by just making, you know, making certain people have them for a bit a bit longer than, than, they, than they did because otherwise it was just... Yeah, they were just changing hands all the time. It oh, was, especially towards the end, it was yeah. like it was like they all just went in a box and they all sort of went and blindfolded and went, "I'll take this one, sure. Yeah, I'll go for that one. Yeah, why yeah. not?" <laughs> it's like, hang on, the good guys have three and the bad guys have the rest, or the ones <laughs> back with the good guys now. It's, we need we need Cisco with some kind of pen translucent board <laughs> to, to help us figure this out. So the stone was here, and then the next time we see it, it's with them. But at the same time, in a different timeline, this person has it. And in the future, it will belong to this person. <laughs> yep. Confusing. Confusing. <laughs> uh, Post-Christmas break, we had a, a great treat to come back to. Uh, John Constantine joined the team for one great episode, I thought. I loved that episode. I, th- I, th- I like how they leaned into the horror angle. Um, so it it almost felt like an episode of Constantine. Almost, I'm not going to say it did feel like an episode of Constantine, but it almost felt like one, with the legends kind of hanging around because you had, uh, well, they, they had them fighting a possessed, dealing with a possessed little girl who was Damien Dark's daughter, and all this, and this mental asylum stuff, and it was just good. It was just a lot of fun as a, a little horror thing, a little horror story inside itself, and shows this. The ability of the show to jumble tones. 
No, definitely. I mean, the thing is, I've got to admit, Constantine isn't a a character that I've I've seen a lot of before. It's not a programme that I've watched, so obviously bringing him into this, I I knew of the character, I'd seen bits of the character, but uh, wasn't sure what to expect in this. Uh, But when he came along, was actually really, really happy with him. Uh, Like you say, that episode was one of the best, sort of um, quite a haunting episode. I mean, I know they did the the one on the the ship uh, later on. Yeah. Uh, which was equally quite sort of a haunty, uh, creepy episode, which I really enjoyed. But, uh, yeah, that one in particular was great, the sort of asylum setting, and that, that nurse, uh, or the matron, or whatever they're calling her, the, the head of the establishment, was very yeah. creepy <laughs> indeed. Yeah, it was good. It's almost, I wonder, I never checked, but I wonder if it was the director of a Supernatural episode that they chucked in for that episode. I mean, it would make sense. They're both on the CW and the, the and Supernatural typically does these sorts of episodes, uh, you know, mo- a lot of weeks. So it would have made sense. One of these days I'll check. Uh, if one of the <laughs> listeners know, tell me. You know, I can't be bothered checking anymore. It's, the moment is gone. Uh, you Google so we don't have to. Yeah, that's it. It's... John was is a really good character. I think Matt Ryan is excellent in the role. It's like he's leaped off the comic page. I always said that in the show itself when it was on and sadly cancelled. And I really like that the people involved with this universe have managed to rehabilitate his version of the character by bringing him in, first with Arrow uh, in season four, and then now here, where he will be joining the cast full-time next season because hmm. we're heading down a mystical road, but... Uh, I really liked his interaction with Sarah. Uh, I like that they preserved a lot, well, all of his comic book traits, which includes chain smoking uh, and <laughs> being bisexual when he's flirting with Leo. Uh, remember Leo? Yeah, he disappeared. Uh, and then, obviously, he hooks up with Sarah, who, because they're both just really damaged people, which I, which I thought was perfectly fitting for those two characters. No, definitely. You could see that the two of them were going to get on very well. Yeah. And uh, it's just the way he kind of bounces off everyone is is really good. Uh, Ask Ray to to come with him to open the door. And then Ray's like, yeah, sure. It's not that hard. You just press this button. He's like, I don't need your help opening the door. I'm just telling you to kill Sarah (laughs) if you need to. (laughs) (laughs) I think um, he'll shake things up quite nicely next season. Yeah. Ray, you've got to keep this a secret. Ray instantly tells everyone. uh, (laughs) The most guilty guilty look on his face ever. (laughs) And the thing is, I wasn't bothered by that secret because unlike in something like Flash or Arrow, where they would linger on it for weeks on end, uh, I, I knew it wasn't going to last long because you don't yeah, have that and long an, epi- an episode's time pretty much is, yeah. uh, is all the revealed following week he's like yeah I haven't been able to eat or sleep but I have to tell you <laughs> that was good um, and his as you said his later appearance was equally haunting and uh, I like the way that he deals with Ava um, who doesn't like him um, and Gary as well who I really started to warm up to by the end yeah, Gary was one of these characters that I was like, oh, it's him again. Oh, Christ, you know. <laughs> and it's the places that you least expect. And then towards the end, yeah, I've, I've got to say, his, his sort of infatuation with his boss, I just find it a bit weird. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, very very funny. And just when you, when you think that the programme can't 
sort of throw in a bit of humour at this moment because, you know, we'll be right and all the, the legends are all being very serious at this bit and you're like, ah, they're not going to be able to fit any humour and suddenly Gary will fall out a wardrobe or appear, <laughs> yeah. in, or appear in some form of period dress. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Gary, like, what are okay. you doing here? He's like, I'm here yeah. to diffuse the situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he might as I'm, well. here, I'm here to make things better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Sarah's arc where she was frightened that she was going to go full demon was pretty cool. Um, she gets over it easily enough, but again, <laughs> eventually, not, yeah, it's not a huge deal, I suppose. But there is that episode where she becomes the villain, and I absolutely loved that. I think, uh, you know, that Sarah tearing her way through her own team is just brilliant because we already know how formidable she is. You know, that if two people walk into a room and they're about to fight, and if Sarah's one of them, chances are she's the one walking out. Yeah, well, that's exactly the episode I was talking about earlier on, where yeah. they sort of, you know, you've got to have these things every once in a while, where it's the sort of haunted house styly thing, where you you have everyone trapped inside, and and you know they've got to work their way out. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's the obvious usual stuff where people go, do you know what we should do? We should all split up and go our own ways, and you know get picked off one by one, you know. But apart from that, yeah, very good episode. Um, I even liked the sort of creepy landscape thing they kept doing when people were talking or, or trying to defeat uh, Mollus, where they would go into the, the sort of misty bit with the creepy trees and just, <laughs> you know, with a voice in the distance, you know. Yeah. I always thought that was it was quite a smart sort of little thing going over and then you'd have a sort of young Nora there. Yeah. Sort of trying to break out. Yeah, and Nora was an interesting character. I really liked her the, the interaction she had with Ray in that episode where they went on that adventure together, because uh, she's, you know, she's unhinged and a little bit evil, and he's, you know, he's just, <laughs> he's just such a dark. Really, it's the best way to describe him. Where he's just overly excited about everything, and I think the the two actors had really good chemistry, which they should because they're married in real life. If there was no <laughs> on screen chemistry, it'd be like that's concerning. Yeah, he's they've really toned up Ray's sort of boy scoutness yeah. through this whole thing. The um the fact that he's come up with a song for all the different codes <laughs> <laughs> for getting reasons to get to the bridge, you know. Yeah. It just bits like that where you're like, Oh bless. Um you know, I know the character wasn't like that when he was in Arrow and stuff, but come on, I I I think you've got a kind of They've just taken everyone's traits and turned the dial up a bit, haven't they? Yeah, he's become much more dorky since then, and at least they don't forget that he's a genius. Mm. So you know, he, every now and again, he's he's cutting about in his lab doing stuff. He invents a magic killing gun, uh, just you know, in his spare time, um, something that Cisco usually knocks up in half an hour or so over on the other show. <laughs> that, it's that kind of thing, you know. He he can be counted on for that, although that's not his only function. Although a big part of his function is um, is being, you know, is is being the the dark of the team, the lovable dark. And I love when Damien Dark had him kidnapped, and the only and people didn't notice he was gone until Dishy started piling up because he really <laughs> washes them. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those ones where you're like, oh, come on, please, the poor guy. It's like, you know, it's been really quiet around about you. Where is he? Um, yeah. It's, it's one of those, his little, his shrink, his shrink ray, yeah. his uh, <laughs> great, you know, miniaturising grod 
And yeah, tiny grod. <laughs> tiny grod. And you're like, oh, this is much more manageable. The <laughs> what was it? It was like a saber toothed tiger or something yeah. like that that they had for it, roaming season, about the yeah. ship for a bit. Yeah. yeah. Why not? Yeah. Seems yeah. like a proper extension of his of his uh, tool set, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you don't see him in the the atom suit very often mm. uh, anymore. Uh, although I suppose the same can be said about most of the characters. You know, they're very rarely in costume uh, because they're usually cutting about in period piece, depending where they are. Uh, they they tend to get in a costume for some big conflict at some point, but it doesn't happen very often. Yeah, even then, a lot of the big um, conflict scenes, they don't really get into their their outfits. And even in the finale, I don't think many of them were cutting about in their their garb. I think the most you see everyone sort of lined up in an outfit was uh, before the mid-season. You know, whether they went out with uh, young Ray on the the Halloween trek, I think, is when you saw the most of them in in other outfits. Other than the crossover, of course. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and was, crossover. Mm. Everyone was suited up. Zari got a snazzy new costume that she now never wears. Yeah. Uh, Zari. It's only for uh, only for special occasions. Of course, yeah, and, and no one knows what they are. <laughs> uh, it's a, a logical point to talk about Zari uh, again. Like Wally, she's a bit in the background, which makes sense because she's new and they're trying to figure out where she comes from. But I love the time loop episode. That wasn't actually a time loop, although probably should have just been a time loop because by the end it's like, what? It's a little bit too complicated. But um, I really like how that uses it as a kind of fast forward to get for her to get to know the team individually because she spends so much, <laughs> so much time repeating the same events and she learns everything about them as she goes. That that episode was just a lot of fun. I mean, the amount of different traps that uh, Mick had left in his room to protect his novel and going Not back his, every his single erotic time. erotic novel. Yeah. <laughs> his erotic sci-fi that he's been writing at the back room. Um, just that episode was just very silly. And like you say, it gave her a lot of face time with different characters that she hadn't spent time with before. Yeah. And by the end of it, she learns um, all about them or demonstrates her knowledge mm. of them. And it it's a weird, elaborate program cooked up by Gideon to give us an excuse to see her in human form once again because you know CW is employed an attractive actress just to do a voice so got to get her on screen <laughs> occasionally uh, but I always, I always find it weird when you see um, voice actors in real life because you're yeah. just used to seeing the voice all the time and then you see the voice coming out of the mouth and you go ah, really? is that the way? <laughs> oh right okay I mean which of, of course they do uh, later on with uh, Mollus Malus Malus Mollus Mollus Malus Malus Mollus 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 yeah and uh, and a great cameo <laughs> appearance by John Noble because they realise mm. that he sounds like Malus yeah so funny I, I thought is he has he been doing the voice the whole time surely surely that they must have got the guy and then you sit there and you quickly go and google and you go oh my god they've done that that's brilliant I, I liked it I just thought very neat very very neat and just silly and yeah right right, right up the legend yeah. street really yeah and Ray turns up during the filming of Lord of the Rings and uh, he's like I'm not eating any more chicken yeah <laughs> tell him no more chicken <laughs> And then he starts wondering about who's Nora and what's the Wave Rider and all this stuff. Just It's just a, such a great cameo and it's one of those things where you're like, they shouldn't be getting away with this. This should not be working. But 
Yeah, it's breaking rules. The wall. You're breaking down the wall. Uh, don't break down the wall. You know, because up until this point, you're like, okay, well, the world's a different. It's a slightly different uh, world that they're in. But because of legends going through and sort of establishing all these pop culture references throughout, or even President Obama, um, you go, okay, so all of this is going on in theory in our real world with a slight well, twist a, to it an approximation a twist, of it an yeah. approximation of our world but it's getting closer and closer every time apart from the flick the superhero on switch button yeah. you know which I find very funny when they they do that you know because the other shows don't even go near that with a barge pole apart from occasional sort of what music are you listening to yeah. or yeah it's like they did on that film or that TV show which they occasionally do but it's very rare that they sort of establish real-world events within their universe. Yeah, although my nerd brain is kind of struggling with it because they established that Obama was a president, was the president at some point. Okay, probably around about the same time he was in our universe. Fine. Uh, but then in in the invasion crossover, you've got another president, some, some woman, I can't remember her name, but she's there, you know, she gives them her med- mm. the medals and all that stuff. And then they're making a lot of jabs at Trump. <laughs> you know, Gary's wig looks presidential, all that, um, make America grod again, all that stuff. Uh, so <laughs> where does Trump fit in in this equation? Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the most important thing we should be debating about Trump just now is how, <laughs> how does he fit into Legends of Tomorrow? And uh... <laughs> When was he president of the Arrowverse? That's just and, what I want to know. Or... Are we looking at the universe where the legends really have done something wrong? In which case, I may not be able to forgive them. <laughs> There's one anachronism too many. They wiped, yeah. out, the, they wiped out the president in present during invasion, and uh, yeah, there's no more super. There's no more superheroes and Trump. Oh my God, legends! What have you done? Uh, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. Cheers, guys. Thanks yeah. for that. Really, really good for you, really good for you to do that, Mick. Mick sits around mm. and says stuff that's really funny, but doesn't have that much um, to do, you know, in terms of characterization. The the smut novel he was written, writing, <laughs> uh, let's call it that. It's a smut novel, you know. It's the show calls it a romance novel, but we all know what it is. <laughs> and it's uh, funnily enough, it can't be read out on the show that it's being written on, because that would make it well they hint, they hint at it and the hints they, are they enough do. though i would yeah. though i would like to see the the someone uh try and continue on from the lines that they've been given already yeah and yeah in fact uh, i bet there's someone online that's already yeah, done that I was, yeah just don't it'll google, be don't yeah. Google <laughs> yeah don't don't save save yourself uh just don't i mean was the vietnam episode in this half or was it in the previous the half. half it was in the first half well, see, he got the development from the the Vietnam thing, and they they bring it on in little bits and pieces here. I mean, you do get the him mourning the loss of his pet rat yes. uh, through this. You get you get weird little things. You're finally coming to terms with the fact that his pal's gone. Yeah, that you know, he's he's sort of lifelong friends gone, and he sort of accepts his place in the legends. I think as much as he he's still. You know the essence of that character is all still there. He has had quite a bit of development through the show, really. When you take him from what he was, which was sort of villain, turncoat villain, even in earlier seasons, yeah, to uh, where he is now. Yeah, he's definitely part of the team, but 
most of his scenes are him eating and or drinking. <clears throat> uh, and occasionally he'll set fire to something. Um, although there was one part where I was kind of drawn into him as a character. Other than his, his back and forth with um, with Leo was good because it was a it was a riff on the dynamic they had before. Uh, it was different because um, because Leo is a different person, but there was still you know there was still <laughs> that chemistry there. There was that partnership ish thing. Um, but there was the there was the point where the rat dies, and. Um, they chase around a ghost rat, which is really funny. But the the rat dies, and uh, I think it's Nate apologises for it. Says, you know, that's it. He lived a good life, and uh, and he simply says one what just one more change on this ship, which suggests that he's just sick of everything that's been changing lately. You know, this mm. uh, the loss of Martin, the loss of Jacks, um, Wally joining the team, his rat dying. It's like too much change, and it's almost this. This very human thing of someone who's dealing with a lot of a, a lot altering in his life at a, at a very short period of time, and and it does cause him to retreat into himself, become a bit insular, write a smut novel, uh, all that stuff. You know, it's that kind of they don't play with the reaction that much, but it's just him being frustrated with with everything, and it's almost like he chooses not to be close to the team anymore because he doesn't know what one he's going to lose next. Or that was at least the impression I got. No, that that seems right. To be honest, that he he's sort of worried about losing others and has come to sort of just accept that things keep going wrong and they'll keep losing people on the ship and uh, and yeah, I mean a lot of his humour is just taking the Mickey out of people, the stupid uh, nicknames that he gives everyone and little throwaway lines. But and I, I still I still quite like him in the show. I think he's. Uh, a good character. Oh yeah, he's an important part of the team, and the show wouldn't be half as entertaining without him. Because you you have a scene where everyone's like, right, okay, we need to go at this time period and stop this happening before you know everything goes to goes to hell in a handbasket. And he's like, guys, shut up! I'm trying to watch Lord of the Rings, <laughs> or you know, what? Why he's doing that on the bridge? I don't know. But at the same time, he's he's there and he's munching on like a sandwich or, or drinking beer or whatever, and he's just like, "Shut up, guys! I don't care. I'm just yeah." How come? How come he's not massively overweight as well? He must have a hell of a training regime that we don't see behind the thing there because he's eating constantly. Yeah, maybe um, maybe you don't calories don't count in the temporal zone. <laughs> we all need to move there. <laughs> That's it. We're all going there. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I honestly don't know. It's one of those CW things, isn't it, where people don't get fat. <laughs> it's a shame, you know. But uh, well, it's not a shame. But you know, just one fat character. That's all I want. Even uh, even Nate, a resident historian, is like a bit too built to be what you would consider a historian. <laughs> Yes, where's the everyman? Where's the person representing us normals in here? Yeah. Thing is, I don't remember the point where where Nate became that because when you first meet him, he's as much of a dweeb as Ray is. You know, where uh, at the start of season two, he bumbles into the mayor's office in Star City and and gets Oliver to help him. And at some point, he just becomes this like really confident, you know, womanizing, self assured, con- conf- mm. confident. But you know, he. There's a weird shift in the character that I don't know is happening at any point. And yeah, I didn't. I didn't particularly see them throw it from zero to one or anything like that. It was, 
it was a gradual thing, but I think combined with what they've done to Ray, I think it's probably to give them defined, you know, kind of defined characters, whereas if they're both merging into one very similar character, then they've got nowhere to go. Yeah, I also can't stand Nate. Still, still don't <laughs> like the guy. He's still... I, I, it's, he's not particularly jumped out at me as a character, um, which is a bit of a shame, really, because... But I think it's because the other characters around are quite strong and well-defined and have been established somewhere else, whereas he's sort of one that's a legend's own kind of thing. And Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know. I think he needs, he needs something to sort of kick him off a bit. He should hang around with Ralph Dibney, another character. Don't <laughs> Might as well. You know, we'll just there's there's the, there's the spin-off no one is asking for. Yeah, that'd be the show I didn't watch. <laughs> Why don't you watch the show? I hate everyone in it. You know? Dibney and Haywood, buddy yeah. cop oh. film. Yeah. No, no. You yeah. sure? No, definitely not. <laughs> and I can't think of much that they did with with Nate other than you know he liked Elvis. He, he liked Elvis and the whole love, uh, not really love triangle thing, but doomed relationship thing yeah. of, you know, you know this relationship's going to end and you know that we can't be together and, you know, you know that sort of doomed romance, that doomed love that yeah, they've well, got. I quite like him. I quite like the idea of them just struggling to accept the fact that at some point the relationship would have to end and you've got this point where they're they're trying to keep it a bit more casual but you, you know where it's going to end up before you start. You know, it's going to end up with the, them giving in to their, the feelings that they so obviously have and it makes it difficult for them to part ways later. And it even gets it gets to the point where Amaya just turns her back on that and her pirate adventure kind of teaches her to be more spontaneous mm-hmm. and, and more selfish. And Mick has a hand in that as well. You know, I like that he's the, the devil on the shoulder in that respect. He's like, yeah, just do what you want. And it's, um, it's, it's really funny when... Uh, She's asking his advice, and he's like, "She's like, I could do this. I could go back to my people, and you know, whatever, like I'm supposed to." And he's like, "Yeah, do that." And it's like, "But I don't want to leave Nate. I'm enjoying being with him." And he's like, "Yeah, do that." <laughs> you know, so Mick doesn't care what she does, and, and he acts as that kind of sounding board for her, which is good. Well, he doesn't mean to act as a sounding board. He just wants to drink and get her shut up. And <laughs> it turns out that it's just a really helpful thing because. It is someone not telling her what to do, and it's encouraging her to really do what she wants to do, which is, which made for an interesting scene, certainly. Um, I agree. I, I, I enjoyed it, and I thought, I do like what they've done with Amaya. The the sort of constant. I I I know that at some point I've got to go back, and is now the time I go back? Is it later that I go back? And then even introducing the, did she genuinely forget about Nate? when they see sort of old Zamaya mm. when they go back, did she genuinely forget or is she did they zap her at some point so she'd forget and is that later on? Well, I mean they, they're they gonna play about with that the whole yeah. time, aren't they? They very much confirm that um that that she zapped herself to forget mm. so that she could live out her life normally and then you've got and and Kwasa ch- is thrown in as a as a complication as well. Quite rightly so actually because um she doesn't want the relationship to continue because you know she wants to be born and you, you can't argue with someone who wants to be born it's fair enough <laughs> um, so it answers the question because earlier on in the season it could be thought you know it could be sort of theorized that nate was maybe uh kuasa and mari who mari yeah vixen um from from arrow and her own animated show um 
so Nate could be their grandfather, but he's not, and they confirm that completely. So it makes it to the point where it's, yeah, this choice has to be made, otherwise these people get wiped from existence, and who are you to wipe these people from existence? So even though um, Koasa turns out to be a villain, although a complex villain because she gets to, you know, she gets to try and save Amaya. No, she doesn't save Amaya. She saves. She protects Mari, doesn't she? Mm. Yeah, it, who doesn't appear, which is quite awkward. The amount of times they reference her, and it's like, oh yeah, she's just over there. Don't look over there, though. <laughs> she's in the hospital. She's in this room, underneath this blanket. Don't look. <laughs> no peeking. Yeah. And as far as I'm aware, Amaya only exists as a character because they wanted to get Mari on the show. Um, that's why her costume looks more modern than it should for a 1942 costume. Because they're just using the costume they used, you know, they made for Arrow. Um, it just happens to fit her, I guess, or they've adjusted it. But So they originally wanted Mary to join the team. The actress wasn't available. So they're like, we still want Vixen. We can have the same power set. Grandmother, job done. But it's ended up creating this little, this even richer possibility because mm. you have that tragic temporally doomed love thing which is pretty cool you know i may not be invested in nate at all but i think the relationship is handled fairly well yeah yeah definitely and then her decision to go back in time to change it because she um she gets to see what her granddaughter's like and and wants to make it better for her and it's the, the idea that yeah time is time is changeable it's not that important or at least they think that well, if we're gonna if we're gonna mess it all up, we might as well mess it all up in a way that we think is gonna work better. It seems to be the the rule at the end is like, okay, we know the genie's gonna get out the bottle, so we might as well have you know, let's try and twist it a little bit as we do it. You know, yeah. let's let's work it to our advantage rather than just messing up something else. Let's try yeah. and put right, you know, in inverted commas something. Yeah, my issue with that is also the fact that they do change the timeline in quite a significant way and <laughs> apparent consequences. So what you've got is Koasa and Mari apparently share the totem because, you know, they grew up learning to share. Um, okay. And uh, they both <clears> apparently protect Detroit, maybe. I don't know. But so you see Mari and Arrow and the whole idea of this is you can't change that because it's going to impact the, it's going to impact the timeline, read the other shows, too significantly if we change this event. They change I, that event. There's no changes elsewhere. Yeah, I do... Was, see, the thing is, Legends was always going to struggle with this. Always going to struggle with this. And my cop-out for Legends is, it's fun, I'll let them away with murder. Um, because if we look too in-depth into all the things they mess around with, the, the timelines and the way they do it, and you consider what happened, and it's even raised in the show, you know, Wally sort of raises a flashpoint, uh, and what they did in the flash, where one life is saved, and suddenly um, someone's baby has changed sex, and <laughs> uh, other characters are ar- alive, other characters are dead, uh, some people aren't policemen anymore, and some people are now villains, and some people are now heroes, and, uh, you know, the implications are just ridiculously butterfly-affecting away then Legends, by this point, would have changed the format of all the other shows. Um, so I've got to try and let them off, because otherwise it just it just won't work. And, um, you know, if you want to hear us debating time travel and time travel rules, then there's a podcast further back in your feed uh, with me, Craig, and Aaron talking all about it. Or further forward. No, it's back. 
further forward in time. It could be further forward in time. I think we're still to record it, but it's already in the feed. Um, <laughs> the long-awaited... Really we we're just not sure when we record it yet. Yeah, so, it's yeah. true. It's like we know we go back and record it. We just don't know when we do go back to record it and what we've watched once we do. Um, so, <laughs> spoilers. Um, and for, for me... You know, my part in that debate was basically saying, listen, they're doing it in a fun way where they're trying to take it seriously, not serious at the same time, and I've got to let it have that grey area because otherwise the programme just loses its premise. You can't you can't do it. It would be impossible for them to stringently stick to it. Um, as much as in this season they've used the memory-erasing gizmo a lot more times... You know, even in the, in the finale, you see sort of the your your cowboys and uh, all that getting lined up and zapped by the memory eraser. Yeah. You know, and you know that you've got the the implication is that you've got a time bureau team that's basically going behind them and doing some minor minor fixes. You know. Yeah. Uh, the legends are coming along and fixing the big the big problem, and then close behind them is the cleanup crew making sure that there's no longer lasting changes yeah so you know you can do a little bit of head cannon in there uh, to to nick your phrase however i do think that when you look deeper into it you're like yeah there's so many things that would be ruined by this especially when they've established already that little minor changes can suddenly have massive consequences that reach beyond the other programs yeah, I agree with that to an extent. I can sort of hand wave away Obama getting attacked by a gorilla uh, during his college years because, it, you know, the implication is that anybody that sees that no longer remembers it, so therefore the future isn't impacted. Uh, minor events here and there, you know, you can you can imagine that the ripple effects aren't huge. They just get on with it. Mm. The timeline corrects itself. But a significant event like that is something that should at least be addressed. You know, the last time they kind of messed around with time in that way, it created this season in in itself, mm-hmm. which is which is fine. Um, I think that that's right. So they should have done something with that, and maybe they will. Maybe they haven't just just haven't done it yet. I mean, the thing is, the episode of Arrow or the episode of Flash that aired immediately after it doesn't mention Vixen. So at some point, and it might just it might just amount to call Mary and Quasa instead of call Mary, but. Mm. You know, maybe the only difference is that there's now two of them who, you know, one of them sits at home and the other is out there with the totem. It's a very modern way of being a vigilante, isn't it? You know, part time. You know, I, I do evenings and uh, weekends. They do day shift. You know, I, I quite like that. Yeah, maybe that's how Diggle and Oliver could have sorted out their straw. <laughs> <laughs> you get the costume Monday, Wednesdays, and for Thursdays. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Uh, we'll we'll yeah. alternate Sundays. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorted. That's and every it. fourth Tuesday, uh, it's like yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Why not? <laughs> and uh, occasionally there'll be a holiday where we might have to step in and do a bit more. But yeah, uh, it is an interesting way to do it. And I think at some point I'd like to see Mari reintroduced. I mean, I thought the episode of Arrow that she was in was really good. And the fact that they kept mentioning her this season is just a bit awkward because you just know that you're not going to see her. Or, you know, oh, she's lying in hospital. Yeah, she's like, she's unconscious right now. But I'm her dad, who was, you know, the voice in the animated show, I think. <laughs> um, 
and I'll talk to you. But it's like, nah, we don't want to talk to you. We don't care about you. Like, we don't really care about Mary because in the context of the show, you don't know her. But she's just an idea that can be aspired to. Uh, or that, that um, Amaya can be proud of in the future. You know, that idea that I have to go back because then this happens and I'm really proud of this thing. So at some point I do need to fulfill that destiny. And you just have to wonder, um, you have to wonder what that is. And I mean, by the end of the season, she leaves. Although reportedly she's going to be on the main cast again next season. Um, But you can almost, yeah. There's some bits of this that are a bit predictable, but you know what? I'm... I'm I'm happy for her to be in it. I I don't I don't have a problem with her really. No, I, no, I just I, like I just have the I just have the feeling that if you're gonna, you know, you've kind of done your run now of I've got to get back. I've got to be there to protect the town. I've got to be there to, you know, we know that she goes back at some point, and do we really need that to be a recurring theme for the next uh, season again? I kind of feel like we've covered it in a way. Yeah. And I wonder if they'll do a kind of Clara approach in Doctor Who. You know, they pick her up for an adventure and send her back at the end of the episode, that kind of stuff. We need yeah. you for this episode, although that might get a bit old after 13 weeks. It's like, you know, <laughs> we said we wouldn't call a man unless it was absolutely necessary. And it's like, you know... We're, we're but, you, but you have the feeling that, you know, from the, from the hint that we get at the, the very, very end here, there's a lot more demons roaming about. You know, so they're going to need more totem bearers to trap demons again i presume uh, or at least the ba- the worst of them you know yeah it's very much an amaya sort of problem or maybe mm. she'll go off on her own adventure for a little while that i don't know someone turns up and does uh, helps her with i don't know who but someone let's talk about rip hunter yeah so uh he kind of turns up here and there he's the reason that wally shows up uh, he's always always got some kind of duplicitous plan on the go uh, be it covering up a, the truth about Ava or well, I think that's about it isn't it uh, he, he covers up the truth about Ava there's a bit of manipulation in the background in order to get himself back into the time bureau and uh, but apart from that yeah he, he doesn't he doesn't get given uh, too much and he makes you know the big his big sacrifice at the end here but my normal podcast rule of until I see the mutilated corpse. Um, I have the ch- <laughs> I still I think the severed head. Of, the severed head, yeah, mutilated corpse and severed head. Um, then he can come back, especially in a program like this where characters have come back from far worse. Oh, yeah, uh, I, think so, him, I think he'll do a deke and be chucked at some point in the time stream. Oh yeah, he'll fall out of a time stream somewhere, or he'll appear in the background of something. I mean, they've done it in Legends with Rip already yeah you know it's like at this point it's like it would not be surprising if at some point two episodes in he's going to show up somewhere you know as a director again or as a writer a sci-fi writer or something again you know they'll sort of run that old one out um but yeah he's he's not given too much i mean how many orders has he installed in uh, gideon (laughs) yeah how many overrides are in there you know at some point, good. someone should ask Gideon, can you just delete all of Rip's passwords, please? You know, <laughs> get a bit fed up of this now. Yeah, every time he comes on board, he takes over the ship. It's getting annoying. Yeah. yeah. I know it was his ship to begin with, but like, hours now. Pub yeah, rules. hours. Yeah. Uh, Squatter's rights. Sac- yeah, I think Rip's sacrifice was good. Uh, I like the, I, 
the idea that he was just you know he was almost he was at peace because he was getting to finally join his his wife and son you know the his entire motivation that we forgot about way back because it was hmm. in season one and it was Vandal Savage and they kept and they kept just being blisteringly incompetent when trying to deal with them. So I like that idea that he's like, yeah, I'll get to be with them now and I'm quite happy with that. And if I can help them escape, then great. Uh, was all, that was really good. But yeah, if Malice gets chucked out at some random point in the past, then he does too, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, definitely. And that was the, the suggestion, is that he got thrown out somewhere. So you'd think that that happened to Rip as well. But Yeah. What do we think of Ava? Uh, Ava, at first, I was a bit... Yeah, she's all right, she's there. She's kind of like the new person for them to rally against and, you know, let's stick it to the man kind of thing that's telling us that we're not good enough to go out there and and uh, be time travellers, you know, we should all stay at home. Um, and then you uh, correctly predicted, um, you know, a bit of romance with Sarah or maybe be on the cards, and I was like, eh, I don't think so, no, not really. And then suddenly, yep, there they are. Um, a bit of a romance through it and a bit of a fun friendship, you know, just what a, what a fun, silly couple, uh, you know, and I enjoyed it. I mean... Her the twist. I, I don't know whether it's even to call it a twist. It was, but by definition, I, it is a twist. By definition, it is a twist. However, I didn't care. I thought it was a fun episode to have multiple Avas. Especially, can you imagine breaking up with someone and then ending up on a planet full of clones of them? Well, she shouldn't have broke up with Ava in the first place. But yeah, long yeah, discussion. they shouldn't have broken up, but it's one of those ones where it's artificially created. And then, yeah, I, I thought that was quite funny. So you've got Gary, who is sort of completely, you know, obsessed, uh, ends up in his fantasy world, and then Sarah also ends up there. But I thought, yeah, it was a good episode. Enjoyed the episode. The twist was like... Okay, fine. You know, it kind of ties back to when Rip went to raise all files on whatever they had called yeah. it, you know, on this particular time thing, or lock this down. You're like, all right, fine. The the sort of actors pretending to be your parents. Yeah. I thought that was, that you know, weird. just really stupid thing, really fun, just bit dopey sort of, but yeah. It was all right. It was all right. I just, it didn't, didn't shock me. In any way, but I suppose I'd seen a teaser the week before, which I think right. spoiled some of it for me. So the teaser at the end of the episode going, next week on, you know, on Legends of Tomorrow, and they sort of showed all the clones walking about. So I was like, oh, all right, yeah. so it's clones. So it kind of took any of the the shock value yeah. out of it for me. I think if I hadn't seen that, I might have gone, Oh, that's I did that isn't what I expected. You know, I was expecting some sort of terrible backstory, you know, memory erased and planted with different parents and things, which I suppose it was, but not quite what I thought. My thoughts on Ava is that I really like the character. I think she was really well done, bounced off Sarah really well, had that kind of corporate attitude I suppose that softened naturally as the show went on uh, the twist surrounding her I didn't like that episode at all because there's so much to that that the episode fails to even great like scratch the surface on so what you've got is right these clones 
certainly have the ability to become sentient because Ava is sentient, which means that the company that's making them is somehow suppressing that. And also, what the humanity has done is become comfortable with buying into a slave race. You know, you've mm. got a slave race of this one person, but none of that is addressed. Not none of it at all. And they just, you know, they just have a fight with a bunch of Avas and then leave. Uh, yeah, it's I, 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 did, I, I agree with you with that with the way the world is. And the bit I forgot actually was when Rip says, "Like you're the was it the thirteenth? How many had you had by then? Something like the twelfth or something. Yeah, was it it the twelfth. Like, you're yeah. the twelfth, thirteenth, whatever it was." And that was the bit where I went, oh, whoa, 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 hang on, this makes it completely different. This isn't like one he, one he, one he took and went, well, you'll be a good a good sort of uh, corporate stooge for me. It was like, he's he's just been replacing her every yeah. single, every time there's been a mess up. He's just went, right, take another one off the production line and off we go, you know. Which is, yeah, it's, I mean, it's really dehumanising, it's really horrible and, and it's one of those things that Rip may not be able to, shouldn't be redeemed after that kind of thing but also it kind of makes sense because I thought that Ava changed a lot throughout the season and you know while I thought the relationship growth was natural I think that almost every time or certainly um, after the mid-season break that from then on she's a very different person you know she's much more reasonable much more amenable much more willing to work with the legends and I wonder if that's like they are all different people that's why she changes so abruptly throughout the season. You know, instead of it being convenient plot-driven writing, it's actually a clever suggestion of what, what that character is. Still not good, though. Yeah. Also, for the continuity point of view, when they say, oh, this particular time period in this particular place is locked off, but they've been further into the future before, as far as I'm aware, and it... Unless this is something like, oh, well, Ava was a fad for one year and then we deleted all knowledge of her from the database, yeah, you know. but there's also she, the future that's full of atom suits. So, you know, there's... That's true. Yeah. You know, it's... Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's confusing in a way. Um, and I think that they didn't really need to do that. I think Ava was interesting enough without that twist. You, you have that idea of her doubting her own identity and, and you've got that whole... Um, she thinks therefore she is sort of thing you know she accepts that she's a person because everyone accepts that she's a person afterwards and they don't really care where she came from there's all that you know all that standard stuff but again you could have done that some other way and the clone thing it just has too many kind of grisly and weird implications to you know to 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 settle with me Mm. it doesn't sit right with me and ultimately it doesn't really go anywhere, you know, it's just kind of something that happens and the episode it happens in is a waste of time because it doesn't further any other plot. Yeah, apart from the sort of relationship, you know, putting the relationship back on track, it doesn't really do much for the other, No. you know, the core story. No, not really. Um, how about the Darks, specifically Damien Dark, who, you know, is back and... As entertaining as ever, you know. Every single episode, I was, I was delighted to see the guy because he just they just kept bringing different things. And this is a character that could so easily become a one-dimensional panto villain. And Neil McDonough leans into this panto villain type persona. Actually, you know, he he shows up and he's quippy and he's like, "Look how powerful I am! I'm just going to kill you guys!" And then um, all that stuff. But then you add in his daughter, and he has a really confused and really interesting relationship with his daughter where 
ultimately he's trying to be a better father and he's got himself into a mess that he didn't predict would go this way. He didn't think he was going to lose Nora. He didn't think that, that Malice was going to upstage him because you don't mm. upstage Damien Dark. That's part of it as well. Yeah, well, it was kind of like he made the deal at the time and I can't remember what the wording was. I made the deal at the time and I thought I'd just get out of it like I normally do kind of thing. Yeah. And that, you can believe from that character that he would go, right, I made a deal with a demon, my daughter's now safe, um, I will deal with the consequences later. And then always seem to think, oh, well, I'll get out of this. Or when I when I saw us ruling the world, this isn't what I imagined, you know. Yeah, yeah and... Obviously, it gets in. He gets in too deep. He loses. He's going to lose Nora, uh, and that's ultimately why he decides to ch- turn against Malice because Nora is more important to him. And you believe that, you know, you believe that he's he's certainly not a good guy. But he, he, they do redeem him towards the end when he takes, you know, when the only real change is that he takes on Malice's essence just before he escapes. So therefore, he's the one that's destroyed. So, you know, what what better end for a father could you think of than? saving his daughter's life and life and allowing her to have that life that he took from her which is you know that nice piece of symmetry there yeah i i, I do I, I like that i thought it was one of those ones where I, was like, I don't want him to go i don't want him to be killed off and uh, the normal rules as applies to rip applies to him but well, you saw him dissolve and then we saw him dissolve we kind of assume that's it but he's done such a good job with it He's been so much fun. Um, when you saw him, I've, I've said this, I don't know how many times, when you saw him in Arrow originally, I would never would have pictured uh, this as the way that he would go out, but they've no. done quite a good bit of development with him, bringing the daughter in, the the sort of relationship between him and Ray in particular, and the, the, the thing has just been a lot of, sort of silliness going on. I, I like it. I like it a lot. And it is that panto villain, melodramatic yeah. flair that he's got. But also with so much depth, and that's why mm. he's engaging. Uh, the thing about Damien Dark is, even if you do kill him in a time travel show, you travel back to any pretty much any time in human history, you know, like after a certain point, he could, in theory, show up because he's still alive. You know, he's he's lived through it all. And you see his younger self with a hilarious wig um, <laughs> and... And gets given the idea to to pursue magic and all that stuff. Uh, I've I liked that. Um, I actually liked that part because the episode was about him realizing his failures as a as a father and as a human being, I suppose. And what he literally does is faces down the actual physical representation of that in his younger self. He is like he ends up he fights the thing that he has to overcome, which is mm. the, you know those failings in himself, and it's great. And and you know I love the bit where he, he phone his younger self phones him for the well like a ransom threat and all that stuff. Just you know just you know, if you want to see the girl again, come here. And he's like I'm going to kick my ass. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great character, and I think um, I think they should go away from him now. You know they've had three seasons worth of mileage out of the guy on two different shows that's enough yeah i think they've i'd love for him to turn up in little one-off things but yeah he can't be the main villain or henchman or running guy through even him just turning up as a younger version of himself 
I mean, younger is relative because he'll still look the mm. same because he's ageless. But even if he just turns up as a you know random assassin they have to deal with at some point. I mean, I suppose inevitably some of the biggest assassinations in history were him. You know, I'm, I'm just waiting for the JFK episode where it's in the <laughs> dark with a sniper rifle or or whatever, or chucking magic at him from the grassy knoll. You know, that kind of stuff. Or deflecting the bullet using... Ma- I don't know. Damien Dark probably killed JFK. <laughs> that's, that's my theory. He probably did, <laughs> you know, and whatever other like whatever other assassinations, famous assassinations throughout history you can think of, were probably him. Uh, you know, he, he stops cold fusion from being a thing, which uh, then Ray rediscovers, I guess, um, which is fine. And it, would, but I think it would cheapen his sacrifice to have him just turn up as a recurring villain now and again. I think move on, find something else. Uh, although they're going to be struggling for charismatic villains now. I mean, all the shows are struggling for charismatic villains right now. Except Supergirl. That's, yeah. And Black Lightning. Black Lightning has Tobias. He's awesome. Or had Tobias. I've seen the end of season <laughs> one now. But yeah, uh, that doesn't mean that he dies. I'm just meaning that it's done. You know, there's no more season one, so therefore Tobias isn't a thing at this point. Uh, but yeah, he's a good villain too. But that's... That's for a later podcast. Uh, time travel. Time travel, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the, the Arrowverse is losing one of its biggest villains, in theory. And I'm not sure how they top him. Mm. Or match him, you know. And it's, it's been like that in Arrow of, well, I suppose uh, Prometheus was good. Uh, Ricardo Diaz, not so much. Uh, but in this show, I don't know what they're going to do next. Maybe it'll just be like supernatural threat of the week with no overriding threat. But then, what's the season about? Mm. Yeah, I think they might go back to sort of odd villains or just you know. The thing is, it seems that they're saying, "Oh, there's lots of demons that have been released." Now it could be a demon a week. It could be a demon every two weeks. It could be, you know, with one big bad at the end. I don't know. Depends on what format they're planning to yeah. do. Yeah, the end of level boss seems to be the format for these shows. So I'm going to think that they'll be fighting loads of minions that lead up to a bigger boss. Mm. Much like, but that would just be Malice again. You know, <laughs> that's that's. That's the true. That's yeah. true. The Malice wasn't that interesting a villain as such. I mean, he was a big threat and he was hanging over the season and he had a great voice, but ultimately he was just a CGI demon who wanted to destroy the universe or something. You know, it's one of those things where I like that the show doesn't lend too much importance to that character because he isn't a character he's a collection of things that need to be defeated so he might as well just be a a computer generated creation by the end so they do the right thing with that i believe i think and the real story is damien and nora there's a a lot with these big villains where you you turn around and go what's your plan again i'm going to destroy the universe okay what what are you going to do once you destroy the universe don't know it'll be gone it's it's, you know it's like I don't, I don't understand sometimes these ones. So it's always good to sort of shine the light away from them a little bit, because otherwise you look and you go, "Well, this is just a bit silly." What's, what's your end game? What, what's your plan? You know, it's well, you, you like, it in the world. Okay, fine. You had you it can, in Buffy, it where world, uh, yeah. you had it in Buffy, where someone was um, where it was Angel in season two. Spoilers for Buffy was trying <laughs> to end the world, um, cause the apocalypse, and have them be sucked into a hell dimension and Spike turns against Angel because he's like, nah, I don't want to be sucked into a hell dimension. I like it here. <laughs> I don't want hmm. I don't want to end the world. This like food I, I can eat people here. I you know I can watch T V and all that. And you've got that kind of why would you destroy the universe when you live in the universe? But <laughs> 
I suppose in the Arrowverse it doesn't matter. You can go to another universe. And then destroy that one. Woo. Yeah, just keep yeah, destroying universes. It's my yeah. hobby. Yeah. Uh, fine. But so the the end the final episode, the major conflict wasn't that. It wasn't Malice. Because he was just that thing that needed to be defeated. But the real conflict was the legends becoming worthy of the totems. And their approach to worthiness is one I really liked because normally, you know, look at Thor, right? He can lift a hammer because he's worthy. Why is he worthy? Don't know. Just because. He is, you know. There's no other reason for him to be worthy other than he just is. Uh, In this show, worth is tied, or worthiness is tied to self-belief. So they have to believe that they're worthy in order to earn the ability to use whatever totem they use. So anyone can be worthy, which I quite like. It's just all about getting to that point. And that's what the final episode is largely about. It's about them all having that confidence to feel like they should wield the totems. And as soon as they get that, the totems respond to them. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think it's it's one of those things, the, the totems uh, not designed to be worthy and not that you need to have had a perfect life either to wield them. Yeah. You know, because Mick goes, oh, well, I'm not going to be able to wield one because, you know, what have I done in my past and all this sort of stuff. So I, I, I like that. You know, or or even uh, Sarah, of course. Yeah. Well, you know, Sarah was uh, afraid that she was worthy. That was her yeah. That's uh, yeah, worthy of the death totem. Yeah. yeah. So, and you had that um, you had that thing where Amaya's trying to explain. You know, they they do this thing early on where it's like, oh well, everyone's had um, everyone's had an adventure that's keyed straight to their you know their life in some way. You know, it's almost it challenges them to achieve some kind of personal revelation about themselves. So you know, Mick sees that his father had a reason to be abusive doesn't excuse what he did but he sees the reason for it at least uh ray i don't know what he learns he learns that his compassion and and whatever else isn't isn't a failing of his you know he Mm. he learns to be confident and caring about other people and and believing the best because that's ultimately what makes the dominator save them uh and and so on you know you've got these little adventures that they all have that kind of prove their worthiness in some way uh, it doesn't explain why they um were having all those adventures that were connected to their own pasts though doesn't have to because magic i suppose mm. <laughs> but at the same time it's all about choice which i like you know a lot of the time with magic it's about removing choice because you know someone being a chosen one is much easier than actually creating a character who develops so, you know, a reluctant chosen one is a much easier character arc to do. And the fa- if the entire Legends team were the, you know, the de facto chosen ones, then that would be stupid. Well, that's the thing. If it becomes, uh, this was foretold that you would wield the, you know, then it becomes a bit like, okay, fine. Yeah. Go with that. But I, I kind of like the way that they worked around it and, and did it. And... Uh, what they create when they wield their totems is a marvel to behold. Well, I like the uh, I like the first attempt, this kind <clears> of <throat> mon- inside-out monstrosity. <laughs> that, that, uh, that they burn and stomp and <laughs> just go, oh Mick's my god, like, what the hell's that? I had to put the poor thing out of its misery. <laughs> yeah. But I did love the, um, yeah, the, the manifestation. It was a bit, you know, it was a bit Ghostbusters. Uh, you know, they think of that thing that's good and pure. So they, <laughs> so they think mm-hmm. about Bebo, and then you have a great CGI fight between Bebo and Malice that is just insane. It's just 
Yeah, you know? it's it's when everyone was sort of peeking out and going, oh my God, what are we doing? Oh my God, have you looked? No, I've not looked. What is it? Oh no. And I was like, what, what are they creating? And then when it was Bebo, I was like, oh, brilliant. Because that was one of the most fun episodes earlier on was the, the Bebo Norse God episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, getting Bebo back again is just, one of those ones where you just think this this would not happen anywhere else. I don't think it's just you know this this is the season finale. This is the big villain that they've been building up to the whole time, and they're they're taking it out with a legally different tickle me Elmo. It's just <laughs> <laughs> it's so silly. You just you've got to just embrace it, haven't you? Absolutely, I completely embraced it. I think um, I think it's a good way of getting around the whole. Well, the season was good until it culminated in a really boring CGI fight. It's almost as if the writers and CGI people understood that the boring CGI fight might, you know, response <clears throat> might exist. So it's like, okay, let's let's make it about the characters becoming worthy of doing this thing, and then when it happens, we'll just chuck in Bebo fighting a demon because yeah, you know, we'll have our we'll have our final episode involving pirates, uh, cowboys, and what was the other Romans? Romans, uh, yeah. You know, it's like in a big fight in the Wild West, because why not? You know, and I, you know, you've just got to give them credit for just going, yeah, why not? And and, and putting it in there. And as much as they could have made it, okay, Wally runs fast, lures uh, Malus Mollus into a, into a trap, and they all stand in a circle and focus really hard and melt them. Uh, yeah. The end. Uh, go to credits, you know. As much as they could have done that, they just went, no, we're going to do this really silly thing. This is, you know, we'll enjoy this. <laughs> and I loved when Bebo exploded and there was, like, blue fur everywhere. <laughs> now, there must be Bebo cosplay going on now, surely. I would imagine so. There will be. <laughs> will be somewhere. Yeah, but it's it's just such a great sequence. <laughs> and it's just, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I, I was watching it about... Uh, quarter to no. I was watching this about quarter past six in the morning. At this point, you know, because I watch it in the morning, and it's just yeah, that just it, it just makes your day great. sets up sets you up for the day nicely. Seeing a giant Furby fighting a demon, and it looks good as well. The CGI was incredible on Malice. You know, it was used sparingly enough, so they didn't like. They didn't overtax it, and then when when he was on screen, he was great, and Bebo looked amazing as well. <clears throat> Giant Bebo. I mean, he was like fighting in that generic sort of, you know, open grassland area kind of thing, uh, which is fine. You know, he needs an arena of some sort, and it was it was quite brief, but it was so brief. He was very sort of slow moving and lumbering along, but do you know what? It was just stupid. So I'll, I'll forgive it. Yeah, definitely. So when it comes to the rest of the season, what were kind of your favourite and least favourite moments or episodes? Oh, now we're... I'm going to struggle. Um, what was my most favourite and my least favourite? Um, I'm trying to think. For me, it was the Avi episode that was my least favourite. I, um, I think that was just problematic all over the place. Yeah, the Ava episode, I think I've got to agree, was probably my most disappointing one. And I think some of my disappointment was because the sort of uh, twist had been sort of revealed before, so it wasn't much of a surprise thing when they got there. 
Um, mm. So that that was kind of a disappointment to me. Uh, best episodes. I mean, I thought the finale was really good, but the way they built up to it with uh, Damien Dark, the episode before, I thought was quite good. Um, yeah, there was there was a lot of fun, different, random stuff in there. So I, I'm going to really struggle to pick one out, right? Yeah, um, I've kind of touched on my favourite episodes. I liked uh, the Rain Nora team up episode. That was good. Anything involving John Constantine is always going to get my vote because mm. they just did so well by him. I wasn't a huge fan of the pirate episode, but I acknowledge that that was personal to me because I don't like pirates for some reason. I mean, I still think I gave it a high score because I acknowledged it was a good episode, but, you know, whenever I hear it, no, it's pirates, I'm like, nah, nah, can we can we do without that, you know? Um, and same with the Wild West, to be fair, I don't like the Wild West that much. Uh, although again, the finale didn't really use the Wild West in mm. any traditional way, and um, so there was all sorts of good stuff going on. You know, they they did have some really good character stuff. Uh, I actually quite liked the Elvis episode. I like the idea that you know they brought back his twin brother who who died in the womb, but uh, he was kind of haunting him through the guitar. That was a nice touch. Yeah, there was there was neat bits. I mean, I liked the Elvis episode. I do think my favourite is the one that we've, uh, you know, you've kind of mentioned already. The the Ray and Nora one was really good fun. Getting to sort of see um, uh, Damien Dark in his his good old days uh, as a an assassin <laughs> was yeah. just a bit. You know, it was just one of these legends things. that's just silly and yeah. I enjoyed it, but yeah, I'd, I'd struggle to pick. And I also mentioned the sort of haunted house one on the ship, which I enjoyed. I can't remember the name of the actual episode or even what number it was, because I'm so good at my research and stuff. <laughs> but uh, Sarah with the the death totem and tempted over to Mollus and sort of slowly taking the, the team out. The there you go. Well done. Um, t- slowly taking the team out one by one. I thought yeah, it was that was cool. Neat episode. Yeah. Uh, I also like to, I mentioned it before, I like the time loop episode. Although I feel like it ends one mm. scene too late. You know, you don't need to see Rip walking up to Wally to speak to him. Uh, you know, the the last scene of the episode where she's um, playing the violin, you know, over what everybody's up to uh, was quite a touching little moment and kind of ruins it with the, next week on Legends we'll be doing this. You know, it's, <laughs> sometimes it's less is more, you know. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. That, that episode was just... It was just exploring the other characters with no fret, and where other shows, when they get a, uh, we've got not much of a budget, we can't really go too far out of the shit, you know, we can't have any other sort of CGI villains in this week, we can't go to, uh, you know, we can't go to, you know, the old sort of Star Trek thing of, we're going to have to do a ship-based episode today because well, we, can't, what it was. We, can't, we can't afford the holodeck, we can't afford a a set somewhere else we can't afford to go to location we'll do a couple of cheap episodes on the ship and both of them have been sort of standout episodes the ones where they've went do you know what we don't need that much we'll just do what we've got with a cast on the ship not too many extras or anything like that that we need we just need this little tight uh tight cast and and they did really well with it yeah definitely Bebo kept turning up, <laughs> you know. The, which was oh, the little, there was little references yeah. in the background, and there was little shots. I'm trying to remember all the times that Bebo's got thrown at people or turned up in the background, and you know, like kids holding Bebo and all that. Yeah, 
and upswipes turned up quite a lot as well. <laughs> upswipes, yeah. I even set up an upswipes profile. Uh, <laughs> I thought maybe, yeah. Yeah, what was it? And he puts his like real age on it, or or the closest <laughs> thing he can get to it. And, and the only person he gets matched with is Cupid. <laughs> the this one of the most annoying villains ever. Yeah, it's that was quite a nice touch. Um, it's the bit where he's a uh, because he goes to he kills Ray's old boss, doesn't he, on Silicon yes. Valley? And uh, it's quite funny when he's talking about yeah, I'm having trouble like fitting in. Do you think I should? You know, and he's just like killing this guy. Uh, Damien Dark, just that's what he is, and he's so deliciously evil, and you can never hate him. And then when he does want to like go good for an episode, it's like, yeah, come on, be fun, just hang yeah, around. Yeah, just for the one episode, just for the one episode. Go yeah. on, Damien, go on. Yeah. This week our interests align, therefore I'm not going to try and kill you until some point later in the episode, and you know the, <laughs> and you're just waiting for the moment that he betrays them. But I like that the moment that he betrayed them was during the point where they decided to change the timeline, and he was like, nope can't let my daughter die so therefore i'm betraying you now I, the other bit was when he was pretending to torture nate as well scream louder <laughs> right and then and then next is sort of just you know they're having a little discussion like right you need to scream now because they're gonna think that i'm not doing anything <laughs> brilliant yeah it's really funny uh, so next season uh the season ends with them on the beach enjoying their some downtime uh they finally get to aruba as a team uh, hmm. Although Mick meant him, not everyone else. And John Constantine shows up with the head of a dragon in his bag. Because of course he does. Uh, well, John Constantine and Gary show up with the head of a dragon in a bag. And uh, Constantine's like, nice try, guys. Well done. Thanks for letting all these demons out. Uh, guess I'm going to have to come with you to clean this up. And it might take around a about a single season to do so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think moving into a more supernaturally themed area is interesting because now they're time traveling superheroes who fight demons. All right, why not? Yeah, well, you know, legends. You're like, okay, sure. I, you know, I'm not going to judge it. I think this season has been so strong that I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you next one. It's like I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll look forward to seeing what they do with it. You've you built know. up so much good faith. Yeah. yeah, you know, they've sort of won me over with things that I was like, oh, well, that won't work, that won't work, that won't work, and everything's been like, okay, I'll go with that, I'll go with that. And because they do it with such a not-taking-themselves-seriously angle that you can go, okay, well, because you're not taking it seriously, I can not take it seriously and I can just enjoy this, you know, if it's yeah. visually funny, if it's, if you're doing good gags around it, if you're having fun with it, then I start to have fun with it so yeah, why not Yeah, and the the thing about um, so what they've done with John Constantine is like, in Arrow they were kind of cagey about whether it was the same guy you saw on his own show I mean it was the same guy obviously, it was played by the same actor and he acted the same but in terms of continuity, in terms of plot is he the same guy? So this show confirms that it is because they talk about the event that started him off the, the when he accidentally gave a little girl's um, little, little girl's soul to a demon. You know, he didn't mean to do it. He just did it by accident. It haunts him forever and that's kind of why he's why he does what he does because, and you see that's where Malice taunts, taunts him with that voice, you know, that makes hmm. him stop because he's like, holy crap, but, uh, you know, that, that little girl, Lisa, I think her name is, 
I mean, that might be wrong, but it's a little girl anyway. Uh, you know, the, the kind of loss of innocence and all that, and and that's why he's so committed to saving Nora in the beginning as well, because he doesn't want to do that all again. Um, the reason I'm talking about them recanonizing his story is during the during that season of Constantine, he was dealing with a problem called the rising darkness, which means that essentially it, it sets the premise of the show where all hell is breaking loose. You know, demons are attacking more blatantly than they ever have before. Uh, and John Constantine is working harder than he ever has because, for some reason, the demons are so brazen. The demons and ghosts and whatever else are more brazen about just attacking people, about haunting things and whatever. So I'm wondering if they're going to try and say that this is the cause of that. Oh, that would be... That'd be quite neat by the sounds of it. I mean, like I say, I've not watched enough to know, so if they tied it in that way, yeah, yeah, yeah that 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 would be very smart. There's no reason not to, because it's fine. It's just one of those things that, you know, if you mention, if you happen to mention that, oh, so this is where this came from. You know, if John is talking about the fact that he's actually helped dealing with the start of that thing that he was dealing with, and it's all weird because time travel's weird. Uh, and it could just be part of the the background. I mean, the, the whole thing about you know John Constant uh, Constantine's first season happens because of you guys doesn't mean anything in a broader narrative sense. But it could just be a little fun aside that they play with. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, can't wait to see him on the Wave Rider. Looking forward to Wally finding his place within the team, seeing what they do with Zari, seeing how they get Amaya back. Hopefully, getting rid of Nate. Uh, all that <laughs> stuff. That's what I want for next season. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't erasing your memory that got rid of Nate. It was the ton of concrete or the piano that was swinging above him that got <laughs> took Nate out. Well, if I if I was on the team, I would kill him and then erase everyone. <laughs> oh, poor Nate. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. Um, they've surprised me so far. So yeah, apparently more, they're more going surprise. to reveal what Amaya's deal is during Comic Con. Because they can't just keep going to the I have to go back well of storytelling. It's boring. Mm. You know, it's the same as we should stop keeping secrets from one another in the Flash until the next week. Yeah, but see, a lot, of, a lot of programs have that, and, and the Arrowverse is no, uh, no different. Where sort of common themes come up again and again and again and again, and they seem to get stuck into this repetitive rut where they don't learn lessons. This show, um, no. No, this show doesn't, but others do struggle with that. So hopefully they, they hopefully they don't fall into that trap. Uh, like we say, Damien Dark, absolutely brilliant. He's been excellent. Rest him. Otherwise, you're relying too heavily on that being there all the time. Yeah. Uh, Amaya, change the story up a little bit. And, yeah, just lots of nice surprises. And um, bring back Bebo, of course. More Bebo, yeah. They should More Bebo, Bebo as a piece of merchandising. Oh, surely there is someone there now from the marketing department making sure there are distributed Bebos all over the place. Yes. If if not, someone will be doing hooky Bebo on eBay. There'll be a pop vinyl. I'll <laughs> buy it because I think it's funny. <laughs> or they bring out the whole Bebo toy and I'll buy it because I think it's funny. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Um, we haven't really talked about the cameos that were in the finale but there's not much to say about them Jax was there, he's got a daughter now cool, whatever 
doesn't matter. It's Hell nice. I mean, if if that if that was them closing the character for the season or for the 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 series, then I think yeah, that's a nice way to just go. Right, he's doing all right for himself. It's five years on in his his timeline, so yeah, it's it's nice way just to sort of sign off and go. The character's doing all right. Helen of Troy is Wonder Woman, the closest thing this universe will ever get to Wonder <laughs> Woman. Anyway, it's all right. Uh, the better version of Kwasa we've already talked about. Yeah, I think we've covered it. I think we've covered the show, the second, the second half of the second, the third season. I think so. Yes. So on that note, uh, I will send you off to Aruba. I'm not going because it's too hot. <laughs> I'm going to stay here where it's cold enough. Dislikes. Uh, it's on my uh, upside <laughs> pr- profile. Dislikes warm weather. Going outside. And repetitive storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will. I will see you next time. And uh, before I go, all hail our one true god, Bebo. Yes, all hail Bebo, the god of war. That was our discussion on the back half of Legends of Tomorrow season three. Thanks to YouTuber Endstens eleven seventeen for the supplied music. As always, if you like what you heard, then please subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, or any major podcasting app, and join us on the next Neil Before Pod. Mm-hmm.